This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Please be sure to subscribe and share with friends and family. To help support this ministry, please visit walkwiththeking.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening. All right, thank you very much. And hello again, radio friends. How in the world are you? You doing all right today? Bless your heart. I hope everything's all right with you. I'm so grateful for the privilege of sharing with you from the Word of God day after day. And uh, once again, we're looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3. Using the office of a deacon means meeting the need, winning them to Jesus. Now he says, These things I read unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. Uh, Paul made plans, and so indeed may you and I. I touched on this a day or so ago, but I'll just come back to it long enough to remind you. God is on the side of planning. The diligent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. The simple pass on and are punished. Which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and to see if he have sufficient to finish the work? Or if he sends, uh, goes out to uh, war with the army, he sends out a, an uh, um, uh, embassage to see whether he have sufficient uh, soldiers to win the battle. This from the lips of our Savior. Uh, the Bible is in, in favor of planning. There's no doubt about that. But the Bible is also in favor of flexible planning that God can influence. Make room in your plans for God to get into. Henrietta Mears used to quote someone saying, make no little plans, they have no magic to stir men's blood. She believed in big plans. And so indeed, I suppose, does every effective servant of God, you could, you could go right straight up and down the line of those who, whom God is using greatly even in our day and Find out that they they planned effectively and uh, in large dimensions. They didn't plan in little dimensions. They planned in large dimensions. Planning with God does not, being, uh, does not mean to be so mystical that you're not practical. Uh, Brother Frost, who wrote about Hudson Taylor, remarked that at one time, uh, the great missionary uh, was uh, about to construct a schedule, and Frost said that he expected they would have an extended time of prayer and wait for some guidance along the matter. Uh, instead, uh, he said that uh, the missionary leader prayed a brief prayer, asked for guidance, and said, Now, have you got some railroad timetables and some maps? And they went to work on a sensible business with the map, finding out what the, the places are that they needed to touch and then the railroad schedules, uh, which would enable them to reach those places. Sensibleness, good sense, is not inimical with uh, spirituality. You don't, you don't have to be impractical to be spiritual. Aren't you glad that's so? See, if, if you don't have good sense and you're impractical, don't blame God or your spiritual life. Paul prayed for the people at Colossae. He said, I'm praying for you that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Uh, 
He said, I want you to know what the will of God is. I want you to have wisdom enough to know how to get at it. And I want you to have spiritual understanding, which will help you know when you've done it. (laughs) Somebody was asking a friend of mine what his goals were. He said, broadly, it's to, to find out, to know what I want, to know how to get it, and to know when I've got it. All right. Make your plans, but make them flexible enough so God can change them for his glory. All right. Of course, business has learned that business doesn't doesn't pray. Big business doesn't have any religious connotation unless indeed it's run by a born again person. But big corporations are known for being heartless. And yet they'll they'll ask you to make a five year plan and then a four and a three and a two year plan and then a six month contingent plan. You make one budget and you're apt to be sent back to, to make an alternate budget that takes into account the changes that we may not be able to foresee or guarantee. Now, you business people, you know all about that. You don't set anything in, in cement and say, this is how it has to be for the next five years. You make room for the changes. Well, do the same thing in, in, in walking with your Lord. Make your plans, but make them flexible enough so God can get into them. So he said, I hope to come unto thee shortly, verse 14, but if I tarry long. See the difference? I want to get there in a hurry, but if I can't, I'm writing to you so you'll have something on which to to go, something on which to build your ministry. That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Let's talk about this verse for a moment. He says that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. Small thought here. I have uh, I've heard very few sermons on how to behave in church. Can you remember hearing anything like that? Churches anymore are getting to be the social center of the redeemed, which indeed they may very well be. Uh, daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ and they ate their bread with gladness and singleness of heart so there was there was breaking of bread and there was teaching and there was preaching and there was praying and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their fellowship with, with other believers became the very center of all of their life that New Testament church right after Pentecost that being so uh does it bother you at all that people are are entirely too casual in church? That there's too much talking and joking and uh, disorder? Well, uh, I'm not one to make church going uh, a an unpleasant experience. I've met people who've rebelled against the gospel because they were forced to go to church and then they were forced to sit still and and be quiet, and they just rebelled against the whole thing. I'm not after that, and you know it. What I'm talking about is there should be a real reverence, shouldn't there? On our part, as we go into the the house of worship, in church, you go to meet not the minister or each other, but God. To meet with God, the church is the house of God, said he the church of the living God. Now, see, there's a distinction. There's the place, and then there's the, there's the entity, the church 
of the living God. And he, in turn, is the pillar and ground of the truth that we that we uh, hold and upon which we build. He said, you, you ought to know how to behave. Why? Because this place has been dedicated to God. It's the house of God. Second, this place is particularly the place where we experience the presence of the living God. And this place is the place where we have reference to the one who is the basis for everything we believe. He is the pillar and the ground of the truth. So what is your attitude toward the church? You want to rethink that at all? You want to think about it? No, you don't have to. If you're perfectly content with the way things are, go ahead. It's all right. But if if what I've just said in these last few moments has any meaning for you, as you rear your family, as you train your children, as you teach them why we go to church, are you saved by going to church? Of course not. Is God impressed? Does he think more kindly of you because you, you are regularly in your church going? No, you don't buy any favor from God by doing anything, not of works lest any man should boast. God said to Gideon, you got too many people. If, if we give them the victory with this many people, they'll say, my own hand hath saved me. My own arm hath saved me. We don't want them to boast about themselves, God says, so we're going to narrow it down to 300 people and give them a, a pitcher and ever-ready flashlight and a second-hand cornet, and we'll go to war with that and God. So that God isn't impressed particularly by what we say or do. At the same time, it is important for our sake that when we go into his house, we know it is his house. Second, we know that we're worshiping him, the living God. And third, that we know that this is the very basis. This worship, I mean to say, of a living God is the very basis of all that we hold dear. You want to train your children that way, that in church we're not there to laugh and giggle and meet our friends and pass notes and chew gum. We're there to worship God. Now, where do you learn to worship? You learn to worship in the home. If a child hasn't learned worship in the home, it's going to be more difficult when he or she gets into the church setting and comes to what we call the age of accountability, where uh, one is responsible for his own decisions vis-a-vis -vis the deity. Where do you learn to worship? The child can learn to worship early on at family altar when once a day you bow and have prayer together. I've seen that happen with little children, my own and others. At a very tender age, when the child is barely able to sit in the high chair, they'll learn to fold the little hands and bow their head. Now we pray. You don't have to pray an eternal prayer so that the child comes to the end of its attention span and starts to fidget and then gets scolded. Don't do it that way. You can pray a short prayer and be perfectly sincere. But you can teach children to worship early on in their life. And having had that beginning experience in a Christian home, then when they come to church, you can teach them that this is a place where we specially gather to seek God's face and his favor to worship him just as we do dear you can say just as we do when we have family altar at home we talk to our heavenly father 
and we listen to what he may have to say to us from his word. Worship, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. The place is dedicated to him. Our focus is on him, the living God, and we recognize in him the basis of all that we hold dear. I used to go to sleep now and again uh, in, during the evenings when my father would have family worship at night before we retired. And I would always pick the big leather chair over in the corner of that basement flat in Cleveland, Ohio. And I would kneel there and then as, as he prayed, because he always prayed long, I don't know why that was, but he did, I would fall asleep and then I would be gently wakened and go off to bed. I don't suppose that impressed God any, but I, I formed a habit in those days of waiting for the time when we all prayed together at family worship. You ought to start that in your own home. It would have such good results with your children. Dear Father, today, oh, may we behave ourselves in a manner that will honor and glorify our blessed Lord. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Till I meet you once again by way of radio, walk with the King today and be a blessing.